Hello, and welcome to Kick Out 299. My name is Rachel, your local kickboy enthusiast. And here with me is my co-founder and favorite old man enjoyer, Alicia. At the time of recording, we are at the cusp of some of the most important annual shows in Puroresu, as the beginning of January always brings us the biggest venues, the greatest marquee matches, and the grand finale of a lot of major storylines. And at the very front of those shows is none other than pro wrestling Noah's Noah the New Year on January 1st at the Nippon Budokan. So leading into that show, Alicia and I really wanted to hone in on the importance, the history, and the overall storytelling of Noah and the three biggest words surrounding the promotion today. And those words are, I am and Noah, in that order. I've only been talking to you about this since I met you, so let's get into it. talking about I am Noah, we are talking about a concept with two major intersecting obstacles. One is identity, living up to your seniors and what it means to embody or stack up to their legacy while still finding your own place in the promotion. And we're also talking about the booking, overcoming inherited issues in the booking that prevent the younger generations from rising to the top and going over their seniors, thus creating a new generation of stars who can draw and eventually replace their seniors in the main event. A problem related to the historical booking issues were Noah's issues with money. In being a newer promotion, they were dependent on tried and tested stars like Misawa, Kobashi, Tawe, and eventually Akiyama to keep fans buying tickets to shows. So there was no way for the younger wrestlers to go over them, make a name for themselves, and have convincing runs with the GHC Heavy. The audience wanted to see their seniors in the main event. Noah lost their TV deal in 2009 as well, which was a massive blow to the company. And in 2012, it was revealed that Noah was involved in a ticket scandal with the Yakuza from 2003 to 2010. With the bad press from the Yakuza scandal, there was no hope that they would ever recover that TV deal. And their public image and show attendance suffered for years because of this scandal, putting more pressure on an already tenuous booking situation. So Rachel, think about it. If you're already reliant on a small crop of older main eventers to draw, you are certainly not going to take risks with your younger up and coming wrestlers. And Noah was also unable to attract new wrestlers to the promotion because rookies did not want to be affiliated with a company embroiled in this type of Yakuza scandal. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And that's a really tough situation to be in, but it definitely affects the ability for these younger wrestlers who are already with the company to move their way up. Absolutely. And getting back into the crux of I Am Noah, I Am Noah really begins with Real Noah. Real Noah refers to the generation of wrestlers that started in all Japan and came over to Noah with Misawa. So that would refer to people like Marafuji, Sagira, Kenta, Rikio, Morishima. 
Sugira and Marafuji use and refer to themselves as real Noah and Shukam Purasu has notably reused it in their publication. Um, during Shio's fourth GHC heavy reign, billing Shio as I am Noah versus Marafuji as real Noah. Sugira referenced real Noah a lot in the lead up to his challenge for the GHC heavy against reigning champion Shiozaki in December 2020. And both Sugira and Marafuji referenced it during the lead up to their GHC heavy title match during Marafuji's most recent reign in July 2021. Okay, so they really haven't started calling themselves real Noah until fairly recently. I'm not exactly sure. You know, I've seen the most information about real Noah in regards to these later matches um, in the past couple of years. Um, but certainly when I'm thinking back to the parts of Marafuji's book, Heir to the Ark, that I've read translated, he really, you know, is is very direct about referring to his generation of wrestlers. Those are the wrestlers that came over with him and Misawa um, to form Noah. So that real Noah, even if it's only a couple years old, it's still going to encompass that generation of wrestlers. So that's why it's more all encompassing, even if it might be a newer term. Okay. So we'll just use that term going forward because that just works so perfectly well for what this generation is, what they've accomplished and really who they are. Absolutely. I'm going to start by introducing Naomichi Marafuji. He joined the All Japan Dojo in March 1988 after graduating from high school and having completed a three weeks long trial at the All Japan Dojo earlier that year during his school's winter break. Marafuji is interesting because he was an amateur wrestler. He did not plan on attending college because he wanted to become a professional wrestler. His high school coach contacted one of his other teachers about his aspirations to be a professional wrestler. And that teacher actually knew Misawa and contacted him to ask if he could speak to Marafuji over the phone, which is how that trial was arranged at the time. He debuted in August 1998 against Yoshinobu Kanemaru and became Misawa's valet. Post-exodus from All Japan in 2000, Marafuji quickly solidified a top spot for himself in the junior heavyweight division. And some of Marafuji's early career accolades include that he is the third GHC junior heavyweight champion. He's part of the first GHC junior heavyweight tag champions. That tag team is Maru Ken, and they still hold the record at 609 days. He's also the winner of the 2004 Super J Cup, and he is one of the only wrestlers to win all three major junior championship titles. That includes the GHC Junior, the IWGP Junior, and the AJPW World Junior title. By 2005, Marafuji was already working heavyweight tags with Minoru Suzuki and started to transition to heavyweight after Maru Ken dropped their junior tag belts that year. And just for the sake of clarity, Maru does go on to hold several junior titles even after he moves to heavyweight. He does some bouncing in between for a few years. Yeah, it's actually really interesting. I don't know that I've ever seen that or heard of that really before where you've transitioned from heavyweight and then you sort of I don't want to say go down to junior, but bounce in between like that. Yeah, he has a really, when you really look at Maru's career over time, it's his, he's very unique compared to his peers. Um, and he actually won the GHC heavyweight championship in 2006 from Akiyama on a roll-up, which was highly controversial at the time. Championship matches weren't won like that. And Marafuji was still looked at as a junior heavyweight and not on the same level of Akiyama and his other seniors. Um, he had also scored an upset win on Tawei on a roll-up prior to beating Akiyama. So he's coming off of two roll-ups on two major seniors. And um, it doesn't really inspire a lot of um, 
love from the crowd, so to speak. You know, people aren't exactly enthused about the way in which he's beaten these two seniors. Um, despite an acclaimed first defense against Kenta, ticket sales were poor enough for that card that Misawa took the belt from Marafuji in his second defense. There was a real fear that Noah couldn't afford any dip in their ticket sales. And um, after this, Marafuji doesn't hold the GHC heavy again until 2015. So if you think about that, this is Marafuji, who everyone knows is the heir to the Ark. He's Misawa's chosen son. This is, you know, he is the symbol of Noah. We know him as that now. But he wins for the first time in 2006, loses it in, I think, about three months, and then doesn't touch the GHC heavy again until 2015. Yeah, you talked about that really well in a Twitter thread um, after he won the belt with uh, Keiji Muto. And we'll definitely talk about that win later. But I definitely remember you saying that, and it really struck me, that huge gap. Yeah, it's, it's a massive gap and a massive oversight in um, the booking, which I'll get into in a couple of minutes. But that rain in 2015 lasts for about 253 days. So it's not insignificant rain for him. But you'll hear that people consider this way too late into his career. He's gotten through a couple of injuries. Noah is sliding backwards further into more trouble. He loses the belt to Minoru Suzuki as the Suzuki-Goon invasion angle gets underway. And then he wins it back from him again at the very tail end of 2015. Um, however, he loses that belt again in 39 days to Zagira, who has defected from Team Noah for Suzuki Goon as part of that angle. So not, you know, the way that you would think the heir to the arc would come into the GHC heavy at all <laughs> in either of those scenarios. Yeah, that's not exactly what I would call a big I am Noah moment in any of those situations at all. Like the closest you could get was the 2015 rain. But even then, I wouldn't necessarily call that a coming of age, like a big moment where he's really taken on that role of encompassing Noah. Exactly. Which is sort of what we're talking about. Absolutely. And, you know, not for nothing, there's there's a lot of things going on in the background. Isawa's passing in 2009 um, thrust Marafuji into taking on a VP position in the company he didn't expect, which changes the course of his career. Despite being heir to the arc, this dual position of wrestler and executive does put him in a position where he has to make a lot of sacrifices at his own expense to keep Noah afloat. And, you know, there, you can't ignore that Marafuji is now, he is currently an eight-time uh, GHC heavy tag champion, but start and stop pushes and poor booking choices kept him from meaningful runs with the GHC heavy for um, a good portion of his career and his time with Noah. Um, however, Marafuji put others before himself, including his biggest generational rivals. Um, the 2019 N1 is a great example of this, and it's something that I'll probably reference later on in the podcast too, but Maru didn't have a single win in that N1. Um, he also put over his biggest generational rivals in Shiazaki and Sugira as well, because he does things to keep Noah going um, at the expense of himself. And that is the role that he had had to take on when he inherited that VP position um, at Misawa's um, bequest. So his injuries have also been extremely significant. Um, he's had to contemplate retirement and he contemplated retirement around his 20th anniversary in 2018. So he has not had a great role. Um, he has not had a very easy road to becoming Noah. Yeah, and what I find really interesting there, especially with that 2019 N1, which was so funny to me at the time, um, I didn't 
really have a chance to appreciate it as much from a booking perspective. But as you talk about all the booking issues of uh, seniors not going, you know, not letting their juniors go over them because of just booking fears and box office fears, you can really appreciate those sacrifices there. And it's interesting that he's sort of at that point in 2019, more or less fixing the booking issues that have plagued Noah for so long, but he still hasn't had that I am Noah moment in the ring as himself, as a wrestler. You're 100% correct. It seems that Marafuji really does learn from his experiences. He learns from watching his seniors, the mistakes of his seniors, and he's trying to fix things, but it never comes at a time where he can actually step into that role for himself. Yeah, exactly. And we will definitely get to how he got there. But in the meantime, let's go over another really, really key real Noah figure in Sugiura. Yes. So Takashi Sugiura joined the All Japan Dojo on an invitation from Timon Honda. And prior to joining, he was enlisted in the self-defense forces and his background was in judo and Greco-Roman wrestling. Sugiura did not debut until 2000 after the exodus. He is unique in that he did not begin training to be a professional wrestler until he was in his 30s, which when you think about um, the age at which most people start wrestling in Japan, Sugiura was a much older man when he was stepping into the All Japan Dojo to begin wrestling and then debuting for Noah post-exodus. Yeah, that's something I've always really admired about him, actually. It's uh, sort of nice to see people starting. I don't want to say later in your life, because 30 is not old, Alicia, but uh, <laughs> acts like an old lady all the time. But no, 30 is not old, but it's still, like you said, comparatively nice to see people starting at that sort of mid-stage in their life. Definitely. And he starts out as a junior heavyweight booked quite low on the card, but his style quickly makes him stand out with the crowds. And he wins the GHC junior heavyweight title in 2004 for a quick stint before joining Ken Amaru in a tag team. And they're actually the ones that go on to dethrone Maru Ken after their two-year run with the junior tag titles. Segura quickly hits that glass ceiling though with the juniors after winning the GHC junior title twice and the junior tag titles twice with Ken Amaru. So he begins transitioning to heavyweight by 2007. And he enjoys a lot of success representing Noah in cross-promotional events with New Japan. And he is featured quite prominently on some of those cards and wins the GHC heavyweight tag titles with Marafuji that year as well. Sagira became GHC heavyweight champion for the first time in 2009 and goes on to hold the belt for a historic 581 days. So Rachel, you're probably wondering how is Sagira affected by the booking issues and the issues with legacy in the way that the others are? Yeah, that is literally exactly what I'm thinking. How does this guy who has this really unique look, this really unique style, he's got the audience behind him, he's got this historic reign, how does he have any issue whatsoever becoming a symbol, becoming Noah? So this is truly where Noah had the opportunity to break a generational curse with Segura. It really was different from their attempts to put the belt on Rikio and Marafuji in the start and stop reigns. 
Um, this was something more comparable to Kobashi's famous 2003 to 2005 reign. However, however, Noah was in trouble. Misawa's sudden passing and the loss of their TV deal impacted ticket sales dramatically. The breaking of the Yakuza scandal was looming in the distance. And there's this great article that I recommend checking out. It's called History of Violence, 20 Years of Takashi Sugira and Noah by Colin McNeil. And you can find this through Monthly Purosu. Um, the quote is, while his own star was going nuclear, Noah's was beginning to flicker. And this is extremely true. When Segura should be leading the company to new heights, Noah's problems are essentially holding him back. Um, Noah's money issues resulted in Kobashi being released from his contract in December 2012. This move would prompt Jun Akiyama, Goshiyazaki, uh, Asushi Aoki, and Kotaro Suzuki and Yoshinobu Kanemaru to leave Noah and sign with All Japan. A year after that, Kenta would leave for WWE, and Morishima was forced to retire due to his health the following spring. So by the time Sugira regains the GHC Heavy in 2016, it's in an entirely different Noah, struggling to stay above water with some of its most important members wrestling elsewhere, deceased or retired. And the stands and venues Noah used to sell out were empty, and the money issues were worse than ever. So basically what we're saying here is that we have a lot of booking issues on Sugira's and we don't have a whole lot of identity from like identity problems with him, but the booking is really holding him back because the company is sinking and he can't save it alone. I actually think with Sagira, it's even sometimes less booking. I mean, sometimes it's booking. I don't think the booking, at, at times the booking hampers everyone. But with Sagira, he is a victim of the circumstances of the company's mistakes um, in business. And that is where he is sort of, um, that is where, you know, you see the most damage done to Sagira and his power and his ability to lead the company forward. And for him too, it's it really is, I think, less of an issue with legacy compared to people like Marafuji and Kenta, who we're going to talk about in just a moment. Um, Sugira was one of Tawei's students. He was also taught by Takayama. Um, but for him, I don't see the issues with legacy in the way that I see them with Marafuji, Shiyazaki, Kenta, Nakajima, who we'll talk about, people like that. Okay. So I kind of see his struggle there with getting to that. I am Noah. It's definitely a little different than I think everybody else that we'll be talking about. And everybody has their own path and their own obstacles and their own struggles, but that was really interesting. So thank you. Definitely. And I'm going to talk about one more um, important figure in the real Noah generation, and that person is Kenta. It's Kenta. 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 Kenta had his, he had his tryout for All Japan sometime in the winter of 2000 and entered the dojo not long after and debuted in May of that year against Marafuji. He wouldn't spend much time with All Japan before leaving the company as part of Misawa's exodus. Um, Kenta is assigned to Kobashi because their names are only off by one letter. Um, his full name is Kenta Kobayashi and then Kenta Kobashi. Both of them feel that the similarity in their names is faded. Kenta's high school baseball teammate describes him as having newspaper clippings of Kobashi in his locker. And he talked about feeling a connection to Kobashi and wanting to be a wrestler because of this connection between their names. Um, there is an element of destiny in Kenta's path through Noah, which begins with his relationship with Kobashi. I love that because it sounds like a Twitter shit post that they came together because of one letter in their names, but 
that's that's legitimate and it really does add that like almost mystical quality of destiny to their relationship it's it's just really good I just love it I know I completely agree and um once Noah is formed Kenta runs into an injury actually that keeps him mostly sidelined for that first year but once back from that injury, he works the typical trainee matches, and it's not until Marafuji has his first significant knee injury in 2002 and has to drop the GHC Junior Heavyweight title and take time off that Kenta starts to make a name for himself. He picks up a lot of steam and crowd support in the tournament that is held to decide the new champion, and he loses to Kenamaru in the finals, but there is a real interest now in Kenta's wrestling. Once Marafuji is back, the Maruken tag era begins, which lasts about two years, and they created an idol culture around their tag team within Parasu, and they still hold the record with those belts at 609 days. Once they drop the belts to Kenamaru and Sagira, Marafuji transitions to heavyweight, and Kenta decides to quote-unquote go at it alone, which is a quote from Marafuji's book, Heir to the Ark. I think that's a really interesting quote, actually. But a few months later, he won the GHG Junior Heavyweight belt for the first time from Kenamaru at the July 2005 Destiny card in the Tokyo Dome. Okay. I like that. I like that you mentioned the idol culture that sort of surrounded their tag team, because that's not only something that was really significant to putting Noah on the map and getting them, you know, really more excitement again. But it was also something that's affected Pororesu like all over. You'll see it in DDT. You'll see it in NJPW. You have that idol culture nowadays with photo books and all of this stuff. And that really, it was really pushed forward by Maruken. And I just really like that you mentioned it. And it's just really cool. It is. It's, it's super unique to them. And I think it's important to um, recognize their achievements, all of them, even if it's just creating a little bit of a stir that way. Um, Kenta is a standout amongst his peers and seniors right away for his shoot style wrestling, his penchant for walking out to American rap music, his personality, his aesthetics. Um, Kenta has the strongest sense of self of anyone in the promotion. This is a major part of his character and who he is as a person. If you follow his translated promos and interviews, this comes up all the time. And he believed he was meant to be a GHC heavyweight champion and that nothing would hold him back from that. Um, Not his size, not being a junior or any other reason. It was only a matter of time for him. And again, there's elements of destiny and sometimes even prophecy that come up here. He really just firmly believed that he was going to overcome his seniors and lead the promotion to new heights. So again, we have this part where my brain is just thinking, so what's the big deal? What's the issue here? He's super popular. He's super unique. He's never had a problem about his identity in his life. So what's keeping him from carrying this promotion, from taking it from his seniors? Well, you've got a slew of booking problems, which is the theme here today. His momentum is derailed by stop-start pushing and taking losses from seniors that stop his progress up the card. And Kenta is left pounding on the glass ceiling, having achieved everything he could as a junior heavyweight. He should have won it in 2009 when he was ready, and again in 2011. Of the rest of his peers and Shiyazaki, he was the only one who was truly prepared to carry the company as he was comfortable in his character, a sound crowd favorite. His character work as a lone wolf with ambition that extends to him alone sets him apart from the typical path that we see for Noah champions, but he still embodies the ethos of Noah, particularly in Misawa's freedom and faith. 
Yeah, I love, love, love this um, core of Misawaism, this freedom and faith. Misawa really believed that wrestlers could pursue really whatever they wanted. So with Kenta, he's kind of going against the grain. He has this rebel lone wolf. He's got this really hungry ambition. He'll just step on anyone. But he's still following his own freedom and faith, and he's taking responsibility for his actions. So he's still carrying the ethos of the company. This popular phrase in this early 2000s era of Noah, it really was the freedom and faith. And Kenta showed that in a way that was very different, but it was really him. So you could really sense how badly he was ready to just carry this company and take that ethos to the next level and he really should have won it like you said but he didn't until what 2013 yes kenta wins finally the ghc heavy in 2013 and there's a palpable sense of relief from fans when he beats morishima Kenta has finally shattered the glass ceiling and fully stepped into the role he was destined for. And this is truly his I am Noah moment. However, it was too late as the company had changed entirely. Um, Kobashi had been released from his contract the month before and announced his retirement. Akiyama, Kanemaru, um, Shiyazaki, Kotaro, and Aoki had already left for all Japan. The Yakuza scandal and the lack of TV deal are affecting ticket sales, as we've already mentioned. And Noah is not the same as it once was. You'll also hear people say that Kenta is not the same as he once was and that he doesn't have the same opponents. Um, Yeah, you'll hear that all the time. You'll hear that Kenta has had a few injuries, um, which he's recovered from. But you'll still see people say that he won the belt when he was, quote unquote, out of his prime in Noah. And the roster had thinned out so much due to people leaving that there were concerns about the caliber of opponents he would face during his GHC heavy reign. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's something that has followed Kenta basically his entire career, that whole out of his prime, not the same. And then the roster thinning out is a really huge problem because really this is our first I am Noah moment. And this is something that is really an important moment, an important staple, especially again, as we get into the mid-generation And especially as you sort of look at Kenta and see the way that he still fought and clawed his way to the top, like he's just got this huge significance to him holding this GHC heavy, even today. I mean, he's still what always shows that picture of him holding the GHC. Yeah, Kenta always um, uses that picture of himself as the GHC heavyweight champion. Um, It's still his Instagram picture. He's used (laughs) it in the last couple of weeks to um, promote himself for um, not only the Budokan, but also for the New Japan and NOAA um, event that is happening on 1-8. So it's a significant moment for him in his career, even though he's not wrestling for NOAA right now. Um, So it's, you know, it's impossible for, for me to, to say that this, that this isn't significant for him and that this doesn't still carry meaning, even though it might've happened a few years too late, quote unquote, into his career, into Noah, um, that moment is still significant and it's still significant for him. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one thing I really wanted to mention, especially with that picture is that it's just, it's the embodiment of his hard work and his self-belief. He bets on himself and he wins. Even to this day, he bets on himself time and time again. And that 
philosophy, that struggle to the GHC, that's what makes him Noah. That's what makes him I am Noah. So really, he's the the only one who truly succeeded in that. And even still, it wasn't necessarily enough to pull that company all the way from the brink. Yeah, that struggle to the GHC heavy is common ground for real Noah, a generation hamstrung by inherited booking mistakes, audience rejection, and the scandals and lack of TV deal happening in the background. There's also this misconception that their seniors were not aware that they had ambitions to rise from juniors to heavyweight and surpass them. And this is demonstratedly not true. There's a quote from Marafuji in his book, Heir to the Ark. It's from January 2003 after he had a match with Misawa versus Kobashi and Kenta. He says, I was defeated by Kobashi's lariat, but regardless of the result, I picked up the microphone and said, Misawa, it is not you guys who lead Noah, but me. Kobashi, Tawe, Akiyama, it could not be their time forever. Now, when I look at the youngsters in Noah that are screaming about the generation change, I remember myself at that time wanting to publicly show my recovery. It was a shift change. I think that I wanted to fight and learn faster by myself than to have been side by side with Misawa forever. And you can go to... Uh, proprogramtranslations.blogspot.com if you'd like to read more of Marafuji's book translated. But um, in Heir to the Ark, Marafuji also talks about Kobashi taking time off when he announced his cancer diagnosis and wanting to become a pillar alongside his seniors to keep the company going. So this was not an unambitious generation, but one um, waiting for an opportunity and not receiving those opportunities and then being made to feel like they could not inherit Noah from their seniors. So I imagine there was definitely a lot of fear that they wouldn't be able to inherit Noah from their seniors. Like flat out, once they retired, Noah wouldn't have anybody. But that wasn't the case. And that didn't last. No, and there's actually a really interesting quote from Kenta, um, which again, I think shows when he was younger, what sort of ambitions that he had um, to demonstrate my point as well. And this quote comes right after um, his March 2013 defense. This would have been um, his second defense in his reign. He says, I think I grew up watching Mr. Kobashi's back as he carried this on his back. So I was able to defend it right in front of him. And he's talking about the GHC heavyweight championship belt. Um, so if you think of the imagery that evokes, it's a young Kenta um, as Kobashi's valet watching him carry the GHC heavy when Kobashi was champion. And it's just this really beautiful imagery of, of Kenta watching him and knowing that he could inherit that from Kobashi. He could inherit that legacy and he could carry on. Um, he could carry Noah essentially. So um, again, I think it just demonstrates that again, this was not a generation that was ambitionless and, and didn't want to rise to the top and lead Noah to new heights. This was a generation that wanted to, but didn't feel like they could always inherit Noah, whether it was through the issue, the complicated issues of legacy or through booking that was preventing them from doing so, which was Kenta's problem for the majority of his time while he was in Noah. Okay. Yeah. So they had these ambitions, but they simply weren't prepared to go over their seniors. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's really fair to say their seniors were made to be untouchable. And you have to think about who you're dealing with. You're, you're dealing with the three of the four pillars of heaven plus Akiyama as the unofficial fifth. Um, so no, they, they couldn't feel that they could inherit 
um, Noah from them. And, and to this day, actually, Mara Fuji does not feel he could ever surpass Misawa or Kobashi um, or Mudo, actually. And I'm going to read to you um, a quote from a June 2021 shoe pro that Metal0515 translated for us on Twitter. And that quote is as follows. No matter how hard I climb, I can't see the top of Keiji Mudo. I can't even surpass Misawa-san or Kobashi-san, but the young wrestlers of today can surpass me. So I want to become a fighter who people think is impossible to surpass that's what i'm trying to create as a pro wrestler now yeah we will definitely talk about that more towards the end of the podcast as we get into everyone's resolutions as they reach that i am noah peak in their career but that quote is just really perfect it's a little bit haunting it really just shows everything that marafuji has learned and how he really wants to and how he is actively breaking that generational curse of the booking Definitely. And it's going to become a really important theme too, as we talk about the middle generation. Absolutely. So that is the perfect way to bring us to the middle generation, my favorite generation. And we're going to go ahead and talk about Shiazaki, Nakajima, and Kennel. The middle generation generally refers to wrestlers who debuted between 2004 and 2011. It's usually people who are, for the most part, in their mid-30s nowadays. So not young, but not super old either. So in the middle. Uh, the big problem with the middle generation was that they're really doomed by aimless booking because the crowds had no interest in seeing anyone else. It's a lot like the real Noah generation that we just talked about, only oftentimes they really were given their starts. They really debuted during a lot of Noah's most turbulent era. They came into Noah during really turbulent times, and that gave them this just huge, huge disadvantage. So Noah was desperate to start building these new stars to create this big stir and it ended up actually creating a whirlwind of really bad booking decisions, pushing someone too hard, not pushing someone enough. Again, a lot like real Noah, but you're going to see a lot of failed aces during this time period and probably getting the absolute worst of it was going to be Go Shiazaki. So Shiazaki is Noah born. He debuted in 2004, and right from the get-go, he was primed as the young ace. He was assigned to Kobashi, which makes him the effective younger brother of Kenta. He's beginning to act and look a little bit like Kobashi. Same mouth. A little bit. A, a lot of it. They have <laughs> the same exact mouth. Into, <laughs> he's anamorphing into him. He's turning into him. But... Uh, it, that wasn't always the case, of course. And like I said, he was really just primed to be this young ace. He was given to Misawa as a tag partner. And this is really great, except you have Shiazaki debuting during this Maruken era. And in comparison to his popular older brother, there's really, there's a big difference you have Shiazaki, who's getting all of these opportunities just handed to him, and the path to the GHC is just paid for him right in the get-go in a way that it really, really was not for Kenta or Marafuji or Sugiura or really anyone for real Noah. 
So you just have this chosen prince. And that would be great, except you have Maruken, particularly Kenta, who's just enormously popular. So Shiyazaki was soundly rejected by the crowds, and he really just struggles for it. Yeah, I mean, Shiyazaki goes through a lot. Um, his first belt is the GHC heavy in Noah, which is a pretty big deal. Um, he wins it in 2009, but it's after Misawa's passing. And this belt is put on him immediately after. And there's the sense that if they put this belt on him after Misawa's passing, they can build a new star um in Shio from this horrible event but it does not it does not go well for him yeah what really ended up happening was that they were putting this belt for the very first time on this traumatized boy effectively he was not the same after witnessing the things that he had and it's just it's a really heavy situation and he states that he states that the belt was so much heavier than he expected and it's it's just really hard to talk about but it's really important to Shiyazaki that he was expected to carry this company through one of the most difficult times and he's expected again and again to do it so where Kenta struggles against the booking, Shiyazaki struggles greatly against his own burden of this legacy carving away any real sense of identity that he had because now he's been expected to sort of become Kabashi, become Misawa, all at the exact same time. And after all he's seen and suffered through, he couldn't really bear the weight of that. Like he could barely really even be himself. And that 2009 reign was just extraordinarily hard on him. So this brings us to Sugira, and Alicia talked a little bit about this, where Sugira's stock has risen exponentially through a lot of interpromotional matches, including challenging Hiroshi Tanahashi for the IWGP. So from that perspective, this is Sugira's moment. This is his big time, his star is going nuclear, as it were. And he's going from a supporting player to becoming the guy. But when you look at it from where Shiyazaki was coming from, and after all of his struggles, it's more that Sugiura is freeing Shiyazaki from the burden of this belt. And it's, it's really sad. And Shiyazaki is very, very far from becoming Noah at that point. It's an incredible match it happens um in the Budokan and it's I think of Sugira and Shio's um series together this is probably their best match um but there really is that sense when Sugira um defeats Shio that he has relieved him um of that belt which is an incredibly tragic thing at the start of you know Shio's effectively the start of his you know his career with Noah that should have been such an incredible first reign and 
it was marred by tragedy um, and really marred by the, the fans recognizing that Shio was not ready um, to be in that position. And um, it's incredibly sad that in Shio um, losing the belt, Sugiro was able to take it and then have that incredible 500 plus day reign. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just really sad to reflect on that. Yeah, it's absolutely heartbreaking. And it's sort of put Shiozaki down into the mid card, but he manages to gain a little bit of popularity there. He sort of begins to establish himself little by little as a true rising star of the promotion. He's, he's getting there. And then 2012 happens. So we've talked about this at length, but Noah's struggling like a lot with money. They can no longer straight up, they can no longer afford Kabashi. So they release him from his contract. This is a really bad look for Noah to just let go one of their biggest stars and several of their young talents, including Shiazaki, just leave the promotion for AJPW. This is a massive blow to an already struggling company. And to put it simply, Shiazaki had a terrible time in AJPW. He talks at length about this. He feels like he has lost his way, um, despite being pretty successful booking-wise, but he was absolutely miserable. He straight up felt that this was just not what Masawa would have wanted for him. Yeah, it's incredibly sad to hear him talk about the tail end of his time with All Japan. Um, He had become Triple Crown champion once. It was a very, very brief reign. Um, He had had some tag team championship reigns, but I don't think it's what he would have wanted. And and towards the end of his time there, it really was um, he would be able to um, essentially come back to Noah or have to retire. So there is some sort of alternative timeline in which he's unable to come back to Noah and Shiozaki retires from wrestling and he's not a wrestler now in 2021, which is kind of insane to think about. I'm, I'm actually crying a little bit thinking about that. That's just the worst. <laughs> Contrary to popular belief, I actually really love Shiozaki. <laughs> it's just right now he's threatening my men's. So I've been very prickly, but I absolutely love Shiozaki and just feel so horrible for him in this stage but he does manage to return to Noah thank God on uh, November 20th 2015 um, Noah is once again wow big shock struggling um, fans are feeling real bad about this uh, Suzuki Goon invasion it's just a bad situation it feels like New Japan is shoot just taking over Noah. Noah has been called by fans New Japan 2.0. It's it's a bad situation. And so Shiozaki coming back is a huge deal. He announces that he wants to fight in his true home of Noah. Suzuki comes out. He offers him to join Suzuki Goon and he turns it down. And this was again in November. About a month later, uh, Sugiura defects to join Suzuki Goon, and Shiozaki declares that he wants to help Team Noah. However, Marafuji does not trust Shiozaki, and he does not want his help. This really blends a lot of kayfabe and shoot, which Noah really tends to do 
in that Shiyazaki's departure was really seen as a betrayal in and of itself, especially by the audience. And they were uncomfortable with Shiyazaki's place in Noah and Marafuji's really reflecting that. And that really paves the way for this storyline and eventually uh, Shiyazaki's rise to that big I am Noah, the I am Noah, if we're being honest. So we come back to this betrayal of Sugira. And this was an absolutely huge blow to Noah in general. Sugira, as we discussed, is really the guardian of Noah. And the audience and Mara Fuji just felt this betrayal with rippling intensity. It's just a painful, painful part of Noah to watch. Um, I've only seen it once and I will not watch it again. Um, <laughs> Alicia has watched a few or a few of these matches again um and you compile on shiazaki coming back and suddenly wanting to help and it's just simply too much for marafuji he doesn't trust him and it just really creates a storyline for the audience to bite into and understand and really feel and that's really important especially in this time period where you have a lot of njpw guys going over their guys like they really need that storyline that they can connect to so that brings us to january 31st 2016 we have marafuji ghc champion versus sugira and sugira takes the belt if I had mentioned that the matches before were sad, this match is heartbreaking. It is really painful. I'm pretty sure Alicia watched it one time and stated on Twitter that she watched it just so she could feel pain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, gifted and everything so that I had to relive the pain too. So thanks, Alicia. Uh, but What's important is that we have this really heartbreaking moment, but earlier that night, Shiazaki was also betrayed by his own tag partner at the time, Yoshinobu Kanemaru. So after the match, Shiazaki comes in and he's been hurt too, and he tries to help up this broken and defeated Marafuji. And Marafuji just pushes him away. And he wants to get up on his own terms. And a few moments after, Shiyazaki sort of persists, extends his hand, and another moment of this tense consideration, and Marafuji takes it. And we're definitely going to gift that for you, put that on Twitter, because you really need to see it. It's just this really emotional moment, and it signals to the audience that we can trust Shiyazaki. Shiyazaki is now a part of Team Noah in the storyline but a part of Noah in shoot. So this handshake is critical and it really paves this way for this 2020 redemption. And what's important about this is it can only come from Mara Fuji. Yeah. I mean, these, this series of, of matches are weirdly uh, very visceral to me. And I think it's because I was such a new fan to Noah at the time and waiting for real hero to upload them to his um, drive so I could watch them. <laughs> so I was riveted. Um, but I remember that handshake so clearly. And like you said, it really is something that it's only a handshake that could come from Marafuji to bring Shio back into the fold. And it sets Shio up for everything that comes 
much later. This happened in 2016, like you mentioned, but for Shiyazaki to have the title reign that he gets starting in 2020, you have to have this pivotal moment between the two in 2016, which makes it all the more fascinating. And that's exactly it. In order to understand this I am Noah is to acknowledge that none of them can really become Noah without each other. You have Sugiura, who was so close, but couldn't really because he was champion in an open arena. You have Kenta, who didn't have any really viable competitors after he had finally won the belt in 2013, because no one can really become Noah without each other sort of helping the next one along the way. And this handshake is really that narrative critical turning point in all of that. So after that, we have Shiyazaki sort of shifting back down, um, sort of into mid-card. He has a bit of success, but it's kind of limited at best. He's sort of dipping his toe in, climbing that road, and we will get there. But we have this 2016 run where he takes it from Sugiura. And to quote Alicia, it's shameful. (laughs) It's bad. He won it in May uh, 28th. And then he lost it. He had one single defense against Shelton Benjamin. And then he lost it back to Sugira on July 30th. And it was just kind of a typical booking decision of Noah at the time. Um, They just handed it right back to Sugira because Sugira had that big legendary run. And it's almost just very circular, very regurgitating. And this trend just sort of tends to happen, especially with Shiyazaki, who is now more or less seen as a failed ace. He has several runs with the tag belt, but they're all very short. Shiyazaki is often champion, but he's not really forefront of the company by any means. He's sort of flirting with the identity of Noah, but he's never really reaching it. And this does include his time with Axis, and we will definitely talk about that because it is really critical. But leading us into Axis is the other half, and that would be none other than Katsuhiko Nakajima. So Katsuhiko Nakajima is almost a perfect repeat of Shiyazaki's problems, but with one major difference that makes his path even harder. Nakajima was an outsider from the very beginning. If you look at the list of companies that this man has been in during his affiliation with Kensuke office, it's a little insane. He debuted at a stupid young age, and he's very proud of that now. But looking back on it, it's absolutely insane, all the companies that this man has been through. New Japan, All Japan, Dragon Gate, Osaka Pro, Zero One, Ring of Honor. To keep it short, he has been everywhere. In 2008, it was announced that Kensuke Office would lend its affiliation to NOAA rather than All Japan, and Nakajima started to appear for them a little more regularly. But he's still not a piece of NOAA, not by any means. He's Kensuke's boy, straight up. That is what he is at that point. So Sasaki is a bona fide legend, and he is beloved in his own right. But despite that, Nakajima is an outsider just from the very beginning. 
and he's given a lot of opportunities. And as a junior weight, that's pretty okay. He's holding that junior singles belt while Sasaki has the GHC. It's kind of cute. He's really like with his dad, basically. They're trying to get him over through the support of his mentor, which sounds a little familiar when you look at it from the perspective of Shiyazaki sort of tagging with Misawa to get Shiyazaki ready to become the ace of the promotion. And it actually almost worked. He feuded with Kenta quite a lot and he had some really great, great matches over it. And it seemed like Nakajima was destined to go over Kenta and become the next junior heavyweight ace. And Kenta was going to rise up to heavyweight and take over the promotion. Right? Mm, It's never what happens in this company. (laughs) (laughs) Not right at all. In a company that wasn't drowning, maybe that would have happened. But instead, what happened is that Kenta left for WWE and Nakajima actually retired Sasaki in a truly, truly incredible and emotional match, and then eventually signed with Noah starting on January 1st, 2016. They strapped a rocket onto Nakajima after this. They just absolutely buckled down into this identity as Sasaki's pupil, and they gave him this massive win over Suzuki in February, just a month after he really signed with the promotion. And then he challenged in March um, unsuccessfully against Sugiura, and then he was sent to represent Noah in the 2016 G1 Climax. So already, just a couple months in, you have this sort of young ace figure that they're already trying to build. So he actually ends up winning the belt on October 23rd after coming back from the G1 Climax, and he wins the belt against Sugiura. Suzuki comes out to challenge next, and Nakajima accepts, holding the belt up, and he declares for the very first time, Orega Noada. I am Noah. Suzuki fails to win the belt from Nakajima on December 2nd. And then Sugira betrays Suzuki-san and returns to Team Noah. Suzuki-gun leave the promotion and the war is effectively over, meaning that Nakajima has provided that finishing blow for the war. He says it again, declaring himself as Noah, and the audience is cold. And you can just see him feel that coldness, and it's painful. This should have been the big moment. You have this young up-and-comer who has effectively, in storyline, saved this promotion, but he's an outsider. The audience doesn't connect to him at all. And there's absolutely nothing there. It really does sound um, like Nakajima and Shiyazaki in a lot of ways mirror each other, which is really fascinating. Oh God, they mirror each other in so many ways. And a lot of that is really, really important to their storyline together, especially as we go into this match next week. It's just almost sad watching this era 
of them trying to take these young these young guns and strap them up and they just fail solidly for different reasons um shiazaki was really facing a lot of trauma a lot of struggles but i would say nakajima was pretty traumatized himself he has this almost fear of rejection at this point because you have this ace run that was just solidly rejected by the audience no matter what the company did the audience as eyes he was still an outsider he was just nothing more than saki's son and he was just an outsider going over their company guys and we're talking people who were already accepted into the folds of the company like kotoge and shiazaki and it was a surprisingly devastating blow once again to the company and eventually an even bigger blow to Nakajima himself. And eventually they ended up handing the belt over to Impact's Eddie Edwards, which is yet another collaboration with another company from another outsider. And the plot once again in Noah becomes who within Noah will take that belt and bring it back home, becoming an I Am Noah plot that Nakajima himself had failed to do. And this was still a very controversial decision because a lot of Noah fans were not really that happy with Eddie Edwards winning the GHC. Eddie Edwards is still the first and only um Gaijin to win the GHC heavy so it was a big decision it was a big honor for Eddie Edwards to win um but it kind of ties into some of the issues that we're talking about before in terms of Noah's um you know making these sort of short-sighted booking decisions that are upsetting the fans that fans are rejecting they don't want to see it so it's going to upset attendance and um, create a lot of problems. So it's just sort of more of those issues appearing once again and sort of compounding on top of each other. Absolutely. It's just, an, it's a recycling of a plot that they had already seen and already disliked, but with a little bit of a different flavor. And nowadays it's really interesting because Eddie is really accepted into the Noah family, but from the audience's eyes at that time period, it was very much a, oh boy, here we go again, sort of feeling. And it was exhausting and really unfortunate. And again, it became a question of, okay, who is going to take the belt from this outsider? Enter Keno. So Keno is by all accounts, also an outsider. He signed to the company in March of 2015, so not really all that long before Nakajima did. And he had been before a Michinoku Pro affiliate who had just wrestled regularly with the promotion since 2014. And he didn't move up to heavyweight until December 23rd in 2016. But despite this, Keno was popular. He was kind of lowly, coming from a place where he was basically an unknown. He was a big deal in Michinoku Pro, but that was Michinoku Pro. That's in the middle of the mountains. Nobody's really known him, seen him. He's never won the junior singles belt. He held the tag belts with Hajime Ohara twice, but the reigns were fairly short. 
So when he came into this heavyweight scene, it was very much the same. He wasn't really a big deal. He had a lot to climb up from. So early in 2017, he won the tag belts with Masakita Mia, but betrayed him a month later to tag with Sugira. This was really deliberate at the time. Keno had just come into heavyweight and he was looking for a place in the heavyweight division. He was looking to climb to the top. This was really, really apparent to the audience as well. When he betrayed Ohara, he straight up stated that he was ready to move up to the heavyweights, that he had always fought like a heavyweight because his background, Nippon Kempo, was an openweight division. He was ready and he immediately named Sugiura as someone that he could contend with. To him, Sugiura is that I am Noah. Sugiura was already Noah in his eyes. So by betraying his partner and teaming up with him, Keno was beginning his own climb to that top. And the audience really began to feel it. He really represented that crawl. He appeared in other promotions, sort of emulating what Sugira had done in his own climb to the top. He had a fairly successful run in Zero One's Fire Festival, nearly making it to the finals. And then after, he took Masato Tanaka to a draw when challenging for Zero One's title, which is absolutely no small feat. He returned to Noah, and he came back absolutely dead set against the direction Noah was heading. He spoke against the current situation. He was loud. He was angry at the establishment. He wanted to destroy it, and he was absolutely adored for it. This was extremely deliberate on Keno's end. He was evoking this feeling of Kenta crawling to the top, clawing his way, speaking out against the establishment. This was not accidental at all, that he was taking these notes from people who had already achieved that I am Noah moment, and he was invoking them in order to create it within himself. Yeah, the comparison between the two of them is really... um really, really interesting. Keno and then eventually Congo are very different than Kenta and No Mercy in some ways. Um, Their ideologies are different. And yet there is some of those really easy comparisons between the two that makes them easy to connect. Exactly. And those differences are really interesting as well because Keno was very obviously and very loudly not acting out of his own interests like Kento was. Kento was hungry and clawing his way to the top for himself, where Keno was very obviously wanting to become Noah to save Noah, to destroy the status quo and rewrite it in order to save the company. To him, that is the ideal I am Noah moment. When he takes Noah to the Budokan as champion, a sign of both his success and the company's renewed health. But Keno hasn't really achieved that I am Noah moment, at least not yet. He's really the only one of everyone we talked about today that doesn't really have that resolution. And 
he might get there. But for the most part, he got close to that I am Noah moment and then it fell apart. So he wins the belt from Eddie Edwards. He ends up taking the belt from this outsider after this tremendous 2017 Global League. And I really could talk about this Global League all day. It was really one of the first matches that I've watched in Noah. They're really important to me and they're really great. He starts the tournament against Nakajima, who had just failed as an ace, and he was desperately trying to rebuild himself. And then he wins the tournament against Shiyazaki, who had spent 2017 middling, but he really, really wanted to redeem himself by taking that belt from Eddie Edwards and returning the belt home to Noah. So I really do not think that that is insignificant at all, that his tournament started and ended with two other major members of this middle generation who are desperately climbing to become Noah. And he was the one who came out on top. This is huge. This was the moment. This was this huge moment of relief in the booking where something was done totally and perfectly right. You have your anti-establishment character following his strong belief and taking it to the top. Just like Nakajima, that should have been it. That should have been his moment. That should have been his Oreganoada. But his reign was ended woefully short. And it was ended at the, at the hands of his own final boss the embodiment of Noah that he had always tried to get the approval of right from the very beginning of his heavyweight run. And that's Takashi Sugira. From there, he slid down the booking so fast that people just rumored that he was going to leave the company by the end of 2018. They straight up just said they were, he was, he was quitting. It was that bad. He was in opening matches so consistently that he attached himself to Kaito Kiyomiya just to get out of them. And honestly, he still has a lot to achieve in terms of the booking there. He is climbing his way up the card. He's found a lot of different ways to climb up the card, but he's still trying to find that moment where he really becomes Noah. It's so interesting that so many of them, their path to become Noah often has to go through Sagira. Um, as we mentioned before, he is the sort of protector of Noah. He's this important, um, you know, to use a term, he's an important pillar of um, modern day Noah. And it's interesting that um, if you're even thinking about the last few years, like Keno hasn't even been able to kind of get back in front of Sagira again to kind of complete that part of his story with Sagira. So it'll be interesting to see what happens next with Keno because there's no way that his path doesn't veer in front of Sagira once again. It's really interesting you say that too, because technically he did get his revenge against Sagira in the N1 of 2019. That was, again, a final boss moment for him where he had to defeat Sugira in order to win the N1. And he went on to challenge Kaito Kiyomiya. And this was right after starting Congo. He had once again gained the crowd. They loved him. You know, Kiyomiya is this baby ace. 
And even still, the crowd is so firmly behind Keto because he represents that whole feeling of going your own way, of freedom and faith, really. And I'll talk about that in just a second with Congo, but he's no longer really copying Kenta. He's found his own footing and his own character, but he's still really embodying that piece of Noah. And you would have thought in that 2019 match, this is his second challenge against Kiyomiya. You would have thought that he would have won. He was supposed to have won. But the booking was holding him back. He's another one where identity really isn't a problem for him. He's doing a lot of experimenting with his identity. But really what is holding him back here is his booking. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So at this point in 2019, he has really become a piece of Noah in a lot of ways. But he really hasn't become Noah. He hasn't been able to get that GHC back. He's built a lot of Noah around himself, especially in Congo. You have Congo's entire philosophy, which is based around this whole idea of strong belief. And that's really that everything is permitted so long as you are following your own freedom and faith, more or less, and taking responsibility for that. In fact, actually, in a really recent interview, he stated that he wants the members of Congo to cause these problems, to incite the fans, to excite them, to stimulate them, and that if they ever turn to him for advice, if they're ever unsure about themselves, he tells them to leave Congo because that's not where they belong. They have to be following their strong belief. They have to be following that freedom and faith. And at his core, Keno is now practicing the absolute base of Misawism. He has become an integral piece of Noah. But he is not at that point of Noah himself. In a lot of ways, it reminds me of where Marafuji was when you were talking about self-sacrifice in his 2019 N1 where he is such an integral piece of Noah and he's already fixing all of these problems that have subsisted throughout Noah, but he hasn't had his I am Noah moment where he has stood there in the ring with the belt. And that's really where he is right now. On the surface, Marafuji and Keno could not be more different but they really are extremely similar when you start to um, break out how they sort of approach the way they handle a problem, essentially, that is put in front of them, especially when it comes to Noah. And it's really interesting to hear you talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. It's really funny how they sort of crash together in kayfabe, but in reality, they are very similar in that they always have Noah in their heart. They're always looking at these problems from the outside, um, especially, especially under uh, Mara Fuji, you know, as in this executive position, but also as a wrestler, he really is in a space to look at Noah's problems from the outside. And Keno is just a very classic overthinker. 
um, especially if you read his shoe prose, he's really considering a lot of angles and he's really considering where Noah needs to go. And Congo in that way is really what gives Nakajima a place to sort of unwind himself and it gives him a place to begin his steps towards his I am Noah moment, which is really interesting that he's giving that to somebody else who hasn't had it yet, rather than towards himself. He doesn't have the booking. He doesn't have the belt. He doesn't have the Budokan. But could this all be steps towards his resolution? Is he using Nakajima to get there? These are all questions that still haven't been answered. And I'm absolutely riveted to this storyline. The storyline is huge for me. And we will definitely get to that, especially as we get to Nakajima's resolution. But uh, yeah, let's talk about some resolutions because we have come to this big moment where these men have found their place. They have found their place to become Noah. And now we want to talk to you about how they got there. So starting with Sugira, just to name a couple accolades, he's a four-time GHC heavyweight champion, a six-time GHC heavyweight tag team champion, a two-time national champion, and he has held every title Noah currently has, and he's the only wrestler in Noah to do this. He has won four Tokyo Sports Awards and won one most recently with Kazushi Sakuraba for their tag team in 2020. And Sugira enjoys a lot of popularity as a loyal Noah lifer who held the company up during difficult times and is known as a dependable main eventer. His faction, Sugira Goon, is also immensely popular and they regularly put on their own produce shows. Sugira has also been a part of passing the torch to the middle and younger generation, thus breaking the generational booking curse. Um, you can see this in his GHC heavyweight title fights with Nakajima and Kiyomiya. Um, we've talked at length now about how that went for Nakajima, but the point stands that he still did it. And that counts for a lot. Um, the path to becoming Noah, as we talked about before, often goes through Sagira. Um, a lot of the middle gen and the younger gen in order to feel like they are on the path to finding their I am Noah moment, you have to go through Sagira first. And um, that just kind of speaks to the sort of presence that Sagira has um, in Noah today. One thing I really love, you mentioned the GHC heavyweight title fight with Kaito, with Kaito Kiyomiya. Uh, one detail I love is that that match, that first match was on coming of age day in Japan, uh, which really just shows Kiyomiya, obviously, um, his importance to Noah, but it also really shows Sugiura's importance that he's facing this big unstoppable champion, this big monster on uh, coming of age day, becoming his own, coming into a man. And he can really only do that against Sugira. And Sugira is Noah at that point. There's no denying it. You have to go through him in order to get to that point. Absolutely. I love the connection that you brought up there too. Thank you for mentioning that, Rachel. 
The next person I'll talk about is Mara Fuji. He obviously does not retire after his 20th anniversary show in 2018 and works through some of his most pressing injuries, which I'm not going to talk about at length. You can translate some of his interviews and you can also join his follow me where he can be very candid about the nature of his injuries. Um, however, he's worked through them and is continuing to work through them and leads Noah through a lot of their financial issues and low attendance problems. He's a prominent figure in cyber agents acquisition of Noah, which has helped stabilize the company and given them an online streaming platform, among many other things. Um, he's also won Champion Carnival in 2018. He has represented Noah at New Japan in recent years. He reunited Akiyama with Noah at the Budokan in 2021. They also had a very significant moment during the Champion Carnival in 2018, where they shook hands there. Um, very significant handshake there, because again, of the exodus of those key figures from Noah to All Japan um, in 20. 2012-2013. So Marafuji has a significant role in relations between the major companies. And that leads us into talking about Maru's fourth GHC heavyweight championship win. Um, he won at Cyber Fight Fest back in June 2021. Um, this was his fourth reign. And although short, it is not insignificant. He won the belt from Keiji Muto, um, who is someone he idolizes. This was one of his favorite wrestlers growing up. And you can tell um, from the way he still looks at Muto now how much he cares about Muto. But oh, um, this was a very um, significant win for Marafuji. This was... Um, you know, something that he has never had before in any of his previous GHC heavy wins, as we had talked about, um, he says this really beautiful thing after the show has closed. Um, he says, I can finally show that I belong right here, perhaps for the first time ever since Noah was created. And this is the first time that he feels he had truly arrived in his 23 year long career. And he's holding this new, the new belt, because this is the, the newly, um, fashion GHC heavy belt. It's not the original. Um, he's never, he's never held this one before his previous runs with the belt were the old belt. Um, so he's holding up the new belt in the big main event of a joint show between these major companies. And he's never had a win like this before. It's never felt this way for him. And I think that this for Marafuji is also, um, for him, it's, he's never had this much hope for himself, um, but also for Noah. And that's why it feels so incredible and so significant when he's standing on the stage um, with his belt at the show's closing. And actually, Rachel's boyfriend has a really great line um, yes. about what this looks like for Marafuji and Noah. And I'm going to read it to you. Um I actually Alex. would like to tell the story of this because it was okay, a really ahead. cute one. So um, Alex is a really big DDT fan and I'm a really big Noah fan. So we watched Cyber Fight Fest and afterwards I asked him who he thought won the DDT versus Noah battle. And for the most part, DDT won all of the major matches. So it made sense that DDT one, but Alex looks at me and he says, DDT won the battle against Noah, but Noah won the battle against themselves. And that was perfect. That is exactly what it was with Marafuji standing there, having defeated Keiji Muto with this belt in the center of the ring. He had 
won. He had defeated this Noah of the past that was failing and falling. And he had finally gotten there as an executive, as a wrestler. It's just like Alicia said, he had finally arrived. And he has this really beautiful line that he says after he defeats Kazuchi Sakuraba on August 1st, 2021. Um, he says to the crowd, how long were you waiting for me? I was waiting for me too. So you really have the sense of Mara Fuji feeling again, like he's arrived, like he has finally been able to step into this role that he's been primed to have. You know, he's been the heir to the arc for, um, you know, most of his time with Noah, but due to the circumstances of the, the booking and having to inherit this legacy from Misawa too soon in circumstances that he was not prepared for, um, he was never truly able to inherit Noah um, the way that he wanted and then having to deal with the constant um, chaos and crisis of Noah falling apart around him. But um, again, this, this reign was incredibly short which for some of us was, was rather unexpected, but this rain for him, (laughs) this rain for him, um, and for, for, for us was, um, was not insignificant. It is a truly, um, you know, incredible thing for, for him and a resolution of a lot of things that happened to him, not only, um, in Kathy, but also in shoot as well. It's, it's a resolution of a lot of things for him, um, that rain. And we go back to that quote that we talked about earlier about how he wants to be a senior that feels um, impossible to overcome, but can be overcome. Um, That is demonstrative in what happens at the very tail end of this fourth rain. But um, again, it speaks to Marafuji learning from the past, learning from his seniors and wanting to break that generational booking curse and let the middle and younger Noah gens thrive, because that is the only way to keep Noah thriving. So yeah, you have Marafuji becoming this almost gatekeeper for the middle generation. And like you said, it really shows at the end of his fourth reign, but it also shows during not Keiji Muto's reign, but the reign before this with Go Shiyazaki. So although Shiyazaki had been accepted back into Noah when he and Marafuji shook hands during the invasion angle, it would take Shio another four years to win the GHC heavy for a fourth time and finally have that I am Noah moment. So now we are here at 2020, January 4th, he comes out to face the young ace Kaito Kiyomiya. He's basically cosplaying Kaito. It's really kind of funny, but it looks amazing on him. He's got this blonde hair. He's got the green coat. He's basically glowing. He's pointedly showing up the young ace in every single way he can. He's not going to let this young 20-something take Noah from him. He's come way too far from it, and he wants the crown, and he wants that I am Noah moment. And what a moment it was. So there's one word that can sum up Shiyazaki's fourth reign, and that is redemption. Um, the arc is, is truly about Shio being redeemed within Noah, being fully accepted as Noah, 
being deserving of holding the GHC heavy and representing the company um, in his own right, being accepted by the roster, particularly the real Noah generation and the fans alike. Um, This is something that blends again, that shoot and kayfabe that Noah is so, is so great at because again, you know, there's that sense even coming from 2016 of even though Mara Fuji has um, signaled to the fans um, that we trust Shiyazaki now and we're welcoming him back into Noah. Um, there's still some stuff left um, unsaid and left unresolved there. And Shiyazaki is still looking to have that moment where he feels that he is, um, that he is accepted and truly back in his home company. And that's what this reign is truly about. And despite the challenges of the pandemic going on in the background, this is an immensely successful title run that brings Noah a lot of attention in Japan and also internationally. There's a lot of people who are not watching Noah that are suddenly paying attention to Noah and paying attention to Shiyazaki, um, which is fantastic. There's some really great matches within this reign. Um, he goes on to hold the belt for about 405 days and there's a lot of great matches within it, but there's three key matches um, that are really important to telling the story. Actually, there's four, which I think Rachel will talk about one of them, but the three that I will mention, um, he has a match with Akatoshi Saito um, towards the beginning of his reign. That is a beautiful match between the two men. Um, Saito was in the ring with him when Misawa passed away. And so there is a ton of history there and pain, shared pain between the two of them. It's a beautiful match, a beautiful story. It's just very painful to watch. Um, And what they share together in the ring is, um, you know, truly something that you're not going to see anywhere but Noah. Um, So that's a a key match to watch. You also have the two real Noah matches in Marafuji and Sugira. Um, Marafuji is, we've mentioned it before in the earlier part of the episode, but Marafuji references real Noah a lot in the lead up to um, that match with so, uh, with um, Shiyazaki, he says in the ring, I am real Noah um, to, to Shiyazaki. So there is that sense of I am Noah versus real Noah right from the bat. And then when you're going into um, Sugira, um, Sugira comes at the very tail end of Shiyazaki's reign, right before Shiyazaki drops the belt to Mudo at the Budokan. So his final defense before that show, um, Sugira makes it very clear that you know, Shiyazaki has to go through um, Sugira to really be Noah, because again, Sugira is real Noah. Um, And Sugira also said that his, I think it was what, 21 years at the time, his 21 years um, of Noah are, what was, what's the phrase again, Rachel? Is it my, my 21 years are Noah's 21 years. That's what Sugira said. So um, again, you know, really making it very clear that Sagira um, believes himself to be at the very, you know, a pillar of this company at the very forefront of this company. And Shiyazaki has not earned um, that same sort of respect from Sugira yet. Um, so that match between them is extremely intense. It's a great, it's a great match. Um, Shiyazaki triumphs over Sugira and there is um, an incredible show of respect between the two of them that um, again is that moment very similar to um, Marafuji and the handshake with Sugira and, and Shio. It's that, that, that genuine exchange of respect um, that shows the, you know, shows us that 
um, there has been, um, you know, an acknowledgement between the two that Shiyazaki did not have from Sugira before. And it really is an important part of the very tail end of Shio's fourth reign. And one thing I absolutely really love about that Sugira match, it again calls back to Sugira having these sort of important dates, um, important anniversaries, more or less, of these matches, because that match was on the exact same day, December 6th, as his original match with Shizaki, where he had relieved Shizaki of this terrible burden of becoming Noah, and he took it for himself. And now you have Shizaki taking it back, finally ready to go through this pillar and become a pillar of his own right. And he's grabbed it back and becomes Noah. And finally, finally, he is able to lose that belt because he has finally arrived. So there was that one other match that Alicia had mentioned that she said I would love to talk about, and I sure would, and that would be against Nakajima. So here we are. Nakajima's troubles just deeply mirror Shiyazaki in a lot of ways. I know we mentioned that earlier on, but I cannot stress it enough. They were both rejected aces. They both have this splintered identity thanks to their mentors. They were both sacrificed on the altar by this messy, short-sighted booking that just pushed them way too early. And they both found each other in that. After losing his title to Edwards, Nakajima went under this really drastic image change. He became crueler. He smiled more. He got a perm. He got a mustache. Yuji Hino said he looked like he had lost his virginity. (laughs) And let me tell you, it was working. There was a lot to be said about Nakajima's transformation, but what is most important to note is that he took on this sort of wolf persona in order to cope with this firm rejection. A lot of people compare this to Tetsuya Naito in that he was rejected as this scruffy, you know, baby, like cute baby face ace. And took on this I don't care persona, but instead of not caring, Nakajima became this cold, lone wolf, very cruel, smiling in the ring as he kicks you to death. And it was cool. Uh, The audience started to warm up to it. And he didn't really stay a lone wolf forever, though, leading us eventually to Axis. This brings us to December 7th, 2018, where Shiyazaki and Nakajima win the tag team championships together. And it lasts a whole nine piddly days (laughs) before losing it to the hooligans, exemplifying everything in Noah's booking that has led us to this point. But the two begin to tag with each other a little more regularly. And a month later, they have a name. And this name, well, you have Shiyazaki and you have Nakajima, and they're both trying to climb and crawl their way back through Noah from the face of rejection. They're trying to find themselves and they want to find themselves at the center of the entire division. They want to build that division around themselves. They want to become an axis. 
that the company circles around, hence Axis. And that's how the name comes to be. And they enjoy a good amount of success together. Again, you have those short reigns and things seem to be working out. They seem to be working their way towards that center of Noah. And then 2020 happens and Shiyazaki does that. He comes into the GHC. He's got his green coat and snappy catchphrase. And it's great. He's the center of Noah. And while that happens, Nakajima is struggling to keep up. He wins and loses his own singles belt, the GHC National, in the span of 87 measly days. He's basically been regulated to sidekick. He's always there at ringside. He's very attentive. He's always pouring water into Shiyazaki's mouth. It's very cute to see, but he's always at the side. Whereas in Nakajima's own matches, for the title, Shiyazaki's usually a little too busy. He's usually in the main or the semi-main, and he's not ringside. And Nakajima feels like he's not important. And the tag belts become Nakajima's last hope. His last hope to become Noah, that feeling of axis with two men trying to become the center of Noah together. And when they challenge for the vacant tag team titles on August 30th, Shiyazaki won't tag him in and they lose. And Nakajima feels unwanted, unneeded, rejected like he was many years ago with the GHC heavy and he breaks Shiyazaki's heart and he lets Shiyazaki become the axis of Noah on his own. So Nakajima ends up joining Kongo and away from Shiyazaki, Nakajima is able to grow away from being that mirror of their trauma, their struggles of being a failed ace. Once Shiyazaki left for surgery on March 15th, 2021, Nakajima began to grow more and more attached to this unit and he sort of began to become, and this is a line that Keno uses all the time, the natural Nakajima. They're very insistent, and this goes back to what I was saying about Keno adopting Misawaism um, and following your freedom and faith. They're very insistent about being an individual, about being yourself, about committing to something. And they are very insistent, especially Keno, that Nakajima is following that. So he sheds his Axis self pretty much entirely, and he decides that his strong belief is to make Congo the center of Noah. That freedom and faith that was at the core of Masawa's belief, that core of what made Kenta and Keno so popular, he's now taken it forward, and now he moves forward with that strong belief, and he goes through the N1 a more complete person. He achieves this goal of pulling Congo into the center of Noah when he wins the title against none other than Naomichi Marafuji on October 10th, 2021. This match is huge. It really, really is. It was really sudden in the booking, but he put a lot of stock into this moment 
The build to this match was a week long, but it was a huge one. He really protects Marafuji's status as the symbol of Noah all the way through. He mentions that the belt is really only important because Marafuji is holding it, basically announcing Marafuji's status as Noah. And the match itself is just a perfect symbol of that. Marafuji is so cruel and every bit just this wicked and impossible to surpass senior that he has really always wanted to be. And then Marafuji loses, passing the title onto the next generation, just as he had done the previous year for Shiazaki. It's an incredible match and an incredible moment. And when you just think about the match that um, Shiazaki and Nakajima had for the GHC Heavy the year before, it's a complete two completely different Nakajimas. Nakajima in the Shio match, he doesn't care about the title. He cares about hurting Shiazaki, and it's evident. And then you cut to a year later, and you have a much more focused Nakajima who feels much differently about winning that belt. And it really is incredible to see how much he changes in the span of a year. Oh, absolutely. He's become pretty much a completely different person from getting away from that mirror that Shiyazaki really represented to him. And now he's focused on Noah, on what that belt means to him, on bringing Congo into Noah with him. And then he takes the belt and he stands in the center of the ring. And then, and only then, does he declare that phrase that he had said to Suzuki so many years ago that he really couldn't feel with his whole chest. Oregon Noada, standing there in the middle of the ring, surrounded by Congo with this real change that he has brought upon himself. But that mirror still exists. Shiyazaki's not gone. He does come back and he represents everything that Nakajima has failed to achieve the first time. And he's really become that final boss for Nakajima, which says great things about Shiyazaki, that he has become that same sort of pillar that Sugiura was for him. He has become Noah so much to the point that now Nakajima has to chew through him in order to achieve those words, I am Noah. He has to destroy that person who has adopted the words, I am Noah, so thoroughly that it's basically become his identity. And so that is what brings us to today, where in one week, we're going to be back to the Budokan on January 1st with two men face to face all over the words, I am Noah, floating between them. Will Nakajima be able to complete his path or will Shiyazaki strike him down, reclaiming the words only for himself? And what will Nakajima need to do at that point to become Noah if he fails here? It's really insane to think about the booking possibilities 
And quite frankly, I'm a little terrified of the answer, but I'm going to watch and I'm excited to watch with my friends in person and online and hopefully with you at kickout299 and on my own Twitter, Milky Star, that's M-I-I-K-Y-S-T-A-R. The link to our e-zine can be found on Kickout's Twitter as well. And you can also find me, Alicia, at Sharanui Kai with two eyes on Twitter. And please send us feedback and questions to kickoutat299 at gmail.com for us to read on the next episode or if you'd like to become a contributor. And thank you again for listening to us at Kickout299. And remember that maybe the real Noah was the friends we made along the way. Take care of yourself.